Would you pray along with me? Father, I thank you, Lord, for uh, the beautiful morning we've already had. Whether it be because you ordained that the sun would rise, just as you ordained that your sun would rise again, or through the beautiful voices of the children singing the truth of who you are, or a sweet family um, sharing how they celebrate their Savior and reminding us that you are a God who keeps your promises. What we need this time, you know that. This world is hard. People hurt. But our hope is not found here. It's not found in this world. We are just exiles awaiting your return. But we are hopeful exiles because we know you will fulfill your promises perfectly in the second advent of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, as we continue to worship you in the word, I pray that you would open our eyes, that we would behold wonderful things from your truth. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, good morning and Merry Christmas. We are in week three of this Advent season. We're calling, calling Behold the Lamb. And it comes from the scene in John 1, 29, where, where the, John the Baptist looks at Jesus as he starts his public ministry, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And for centuries, God's people had been taking their lamb to the temple or to the synagogues to to be sacrificed for the atonement of their sin. And now here comes the Lamb of the world, the perfect Lamb of God, God himself in the flesh, to them, and most of the world missed it. But in fairness to them, they had been waiting a long time. You know, it's easy to look, but we have hindsight, it's 2020, and we, we look at our Bibles and go, how did they miss it? And yet, I wonder if we would have been even as patient as them. You see, way back... The triune Godhead up in the heavenlies decided they were going to create, not because they needed to or just because they wanted to. And so they spoke creation into existence. Imagine that, guys. A God, just, just take a second and imagine a God so powerful, he speaks and it is, and so personal, his attention is entirely focused on you right now. He loves each and every one of you in this room right now. That God. And he created the universe, or he created the whole universe, and then he creates Adam and Eve, and he puts them in this garden, and they are in perfect fellowship with him. Right? They, they, he's walking along with them in the garden. They are in perfect fellowship with him. But then the enemy comes, who because of, out of who rebelled against God, he comes and he wants to take as many people in God's creation with him to hell as he possibly can. So he goes to Eve and he says, Hey, God didn't really tell you not to eat this fruit. Go ahead and take it. He just, he just knows that you're gonna, you are going to be like him if you'll just go do your own thing and find your hope somewhere else. So she takes it and she eats, and Adam takes it and eats, and sin enters the world. And God exiles them from the garden. They are sent east of Eden, it says in the Bible. And time passes, and the flood comes, and Noah's family is saved through the flood, and then, and then about 3,000 years after Adam and Eve, God looks down and he sees this man named Abram 
We call him Abraham, and he says, that one's mine, not because you are anything, Abraham, because you are nothing. In fact, I'm picking you because you are nothing. And so he says, but from you, all the families of the whole earth will be blessed. So Abraham has Isaac, and Isaac has Jacob, and Jacob has Joseph, and Joseph's brothers don't like him, so they, send him in, they, they sell him into slavery, where God sends him to Egypt. And we think, oh no, how's the story going to be fulfilled? Because here's Abraham, who the promise that, that this Messiah is going to come in about 2000 BC, and now all of a sudden their family's slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Guys, get already they've waited thousands of years. Now they're waiting as slaves for 400 years until God raises up Moses, and Moses delivers them out of, the, out of slavery by the power of God, and they, and they end up in the promised land, and eventually they become a kingdom, and David sits on the throne. And David is probably the, the most well-known and, 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 and strongest king, and he's the one that, that unites the kingdom, and God makes a covenant with him. And says that, that from your family will come one whose kingdom will never end. Now Abraham, David was in Abraham's line. So the, so the promise is just moving from Adam through Abraham to David. And in fact at the very end of the book in, Genesis, in Revelation chapter 22, Jesus himself says, I am the root and the descendant of David. So here's this promise that's being fulfilled. But guys, that's another 400 years. And the, and the kingdom ends up dividing. And, and God raises up superpowers like Assyria and Babylon, which are now modern-day Iran and Iraq. And they take over God's king, the kingdom here on earth in Israel. And they take God's people into exile east of Eden. And eventually they're allowed to come back under people like Nehemiah and Ezra. And they rebuild the temple and then the Greco-Roman Empire rises up and basically rules them, but allows them to live there. And for 400 more years, God is silent. And then this baby, we, 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 sang, the, we sang the words. I didn't know that they were even in that song until we just sang it. 400 years of silence. I don't remember exactly how the song went. And then a baby's cry. Guys, we look and we go, how do they miss it? And I look and I go, you know what? I get tired of praying for the same thing for a few days, for a few weeks. You know, maybe there are people in your family that are not saved and you've been praying for them for 30 years and, and you're about to give up. Sets and sets of 400 years of time. These people were supposed to faithfully, no, it's, it's no wonder they missed it. But guys, are we any different? We are, Peter calls us just hopeful exiles now. God's people have always been exiles in this world. The question is, what do we do to keep fit? What, what Nathan Johnson just reminded us of. What, what, what kinds of things can we be doing to not forget? Because God knows we are a forgetful people. That's why Advent is something to celebrate. Because it is a yearly reminder that God is a God who keeps his promises. And many of them have been fulfilled from, from basically page 3 in Genesis 3. The rest, of this, the rest of this story is about God bringing us back to the garden someday. And most of these promises have been fulfilled, but there are still some yet to come. And that is when he will come again. And we call that our second, his, the second advent. But guys, we want to be a people 
who look forward to that. Because in, Gen- in Revelation chapter 22, Jesus himself says, Behold, I am coming quickly. That means not right away. That means like when I come, it's going to be instantaneous. And I'm bringing my reward with me. So we want to be a people that live and look and pray forward, not backwards. I mean, it's fun to celebrate Christmas. I'm not anti-Christmas. If you came to our house right now, you would think Hobby Lobby had taken over our home. I'm not anti-Christmas, but it's not the tree that I'm celebrating. In fact, it's not even the birth of of the baby born in a manger that I'm celebrating. What I'm celebrating is that moment where God said, I'm proving to you that my promises will be fulfilled. And from there, we get our hope. So in week one, we talked about how do we find peace? And we were reminded that it's out of Romans 5, we were reminded that God made peace with us. And then in week two, we talked about how do we I don't remember the question I even asked. How do we love well? And in Romans 8, we were reminded that it's because we were well-loved. We are well-loved by God. And so now, in this third week, we want to look at, Behold the Lamb who gives hope. The Lamb who gives hope. And the question we're going to ask today is, how do we keep it? How do we keep hope? How do we keep hope in a world that wants to take it away from us? all the time to just turn on the news? How do we keep hope in a world where the enemy of our flesh and the enemy of Satan wants us to put hope in anything and everything other than the cross of Jesus Christ? Because as long as he, it's what I talked about a couple weeks ago, he does not, the enemy does not mind that we celebrate Christmas as long as we don't come to the cross. Because that's what keeps us out of hell. And that's where he's going, and he knows it, and he wants to take as many people as he can with him. So with that, how do we keep hope? Open up your Bibles to Romans. We're in Romans again, chapter 15. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We have some people who will put a Bible in it. We would love for you to have one if you need one to keep or just for today. Um, But just raise your hand and keep it up until someone puts a Bible in it. And we will be in the Word a lot today. We're in Romans 15. Romans is in the middle of your New Testament, towards the back quarter of your Bible. And we're going to look at the first 13 verses of Romans 13. How do we keep hope? The first thing we're going to look at, and our first point is, we have to change our focus. We have to change our focus. Look at the first three verses of Romans 15. It says, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength, and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. For even if Christ did not please himself, but, as, but even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Guys, do you see the focus change there? What, what Paul is talking about here, as he's saying, is as he's been dealing with in the last few chapters of Romans 12, 13, 14, kind of this relationships with each other, relationships with the government, relationships in the world, and he's saying, guys, what we have to get, we have to get our eyes back onto Christ, get our eyes off of ourselves, onto Jesus, and onto other people. He says, each of us is to please his neighbor. That's a command for, the good, for his good, your neighbor's good, and edification. The, the change of focus is off of ourselves. Guys, here's the thing. The woe is me-isms of the world, 
Like when, when we look at our own lives, we can often, because the world has gotten so negative and the enemy is a negative being, and he whispers negative things into our ears, we can get so focused on what we don't have, on, on, how, um, on how wronged we've been. And that leads us into this place where, where it is, woe is me, woe is me. Guys, and I'm speaking to myself. I've confessed that before you guys many times, that, that I am far too caught up in, in a negative self-talk. And that is the enemy of my flesh and Satan, and I have to rebuke them when those things happen. But guys, the woe is me-isms are so powerful and debilitating because our flesh loves them. It feels so good. I mean, it, it, it's, it's this oxymoron. It feels so good to have negative thoughts to our flesh. But that's not who we are in spirit. And so what we have to do is we have to grab a hold of those thoughts, recognize them for what they are, sin, put the cross of Jesus Christ over them, and be renewed in our minds. Guys, we, we got a glimpse of, of this idea in the in, um, invocation passage that Dan read. Right? The psalmist, we don't know if it was David, it sounds a little bit like David, when he says, why are you in despair, O my soul, and why, soul, and why are you so downcast? Why are you consumed in this negativism? And then he, tur- and he gives us the answer, hope in God. Right? Get my eyes off of me and get them back onto him, and I will be in a much better place. We have to, guys, the fastest way, I mean, yes, we need to be praying, and we need to be in the Word and renewing our mind. But guys, if you want the fastest practical solution to getting rid of the negative thought, encourage someone else. This, is what I, this, this has been probably the, my best way of getting victory in this area of my life, is when, I'm, when I find myself in the car starting to have that negative conversation, I go, okay, stop. Lord, who could I call right now? Who could I text right now? Who could I encourage right now? Who is somebody who is worse off than me, than I think I am? There's always somebody, guys. I promise. And just encourage them. Ask questions. Guys, ask each other questions. Not right now, but in a few minutes you could. How are you? How's your soul? How can I pray for you right now? And watch and see what that doesn't do to your own heart. And you go, wait a minute, but I don't feel like it. Do you think Jesus felt like it in his flesh when it was getting ripped from his body? And he prayed for us. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Guys, I say this often here. What we fixate on, we migrate towards. What we fixate on, we migrate towards. And what we migrate towards, we eventually become. You are being discipled all the time. All of us are being discipled all the time. We talk about the toolkit and being a a church of discipleship here. Guys, but all of us are being discipled by the world all of the time. So I, I, I would, what we have to do, this is why Paul in Philippians 4 says this, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. 
Because we, you, you ha we have to change our focus in order to keep hope. In a world that wants our focus to be on negative, we have to turn it to the things that are lovely and beautiful and excellent. So how else do we keep hope? Well, in verse 4, it's sort of this um, transition or an introduction to verses 5 through 7 and, then, and also verses 8 through 12. So in verse 4, he says this. Paul says, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction— so he's talking about the Old Testament, was written so that through perseverance or endurance and the, and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So that leads to our second point, which is in the next three verses, verses 5 through 7, we have to surround ourselves with hope-filled people. Because everything I just said is true. Renew your mind in the Word of God. Renew your mind in prayer. Renew, encourage each other. But if you're just doing that all by yourself, it's not going to last very long. You will wear down. Guys, we have, to, we have to encourage one another. Look at verses 5 through 7. It says, Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement, which we're supposed to be getting those things also from the Scriptures, says, Grant you the same mind with one another, there's the togetherness, according to Christ Jesus. So that with one accord, you may with one voice glorify God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Or your version might have said, therefore, welcome one another, which is, a, which is probably a, a little more accurate English translation of that Greek word. It doesn't say tolerate, right? It says Welcome. Accept one another. Guys, the one, we, we, we have to know that we have to need each other. I know I'm preaching to the choir here, and I taught that we, we started this series, um, or we started our toolkit series with this idea of the church, and we actually used this passage, and I talked about the importance of, guys, this is not just talking about your homeschool group. This is not just talking about your home Bible study. This isn't talking about your selective group of friends that you, that you like to hang out with that are Christians to encourage you. That is all wonderful. Do that as much as you can. This is specifically talking about the beauty of the bride of Christ. This is talking about what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10. When he talks about, let us not forsake assembling together, as is the habit of some, but let us encourage one another all the more as the day draws near. What day is he talking about, the writer of Hebrews? His second advent, his second coming. Right? It's, it's, it's what the psalmist Asaph, in Psalm 73, don't turn there, but the psalmist Asaph, he was David's music leader, and he, and he has the same sort of experience that this, the writer of Psalm 42 had. He's looking around at the world and he's getting discouraged. He's seeing all these people doing so well that don't love the Lord. And he's like, man, what about me? And then he says, until I went to the house of my God. Until I went to church, people. That's what he's saying. He didn't say until I went to my small group. He didn't say until I went to my home. He said, until I went into the house of my God, until I went into the church. Because, why? Why does that matter? Because the church is a supernatural entity like no other entity on the planet. Just like as a spirit-filled believer, you are supernatural. Now, born again. The church, together, is a supernatural entity like no other thing that is not the church. 
but I'm going to get back on that, and you can listen to that message later if you would like to. It's online. It starts in the church and works outward. Guys, we don't just hang out here and have little holiness meetings, though. Right? I mean, the church is designed to strengthen our hope so that we will go out and be a light to the world. In Acts chapter 2, it says this, And those who believed were together, and they had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions, and they were sharing them with all and anyone who might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, which we're going to do here at communion here in a few minutes, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the outflow was the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Guys, they were getting together to be reminded of the peace, the love, and the hope that is in Christ. And it was infectious. Because, because in a world that is dark and negative, just look at the person across the counter from you at the Panera and go, how can I pray for you today? And watch what happens. So, how do we keep hope? Well, we have to surround ourselves with hope-filled people. That's what verses 5 through 7 remind us of. But verses 8 through 12, Paul is going to tell us what the point of gathering together is. It is to keep looking up by rehearsing the promises of God. And then he, so if you look at verses 8 through 12, he says, For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of, of God to confirm the promises given to the Father. Here's what he's saying. Guys, there are all kinds of promises in the Word of God. Christ fulfilled them. Let's gather together to remind ourselves of these specific promises and how Christ has fulfilled them so that we will keep hope in the truth that he's going to fulfill the, the rest of them. That's what, and so, so then all he does is he lists some of them. Verse 9, And the Gentiles to the glory of God for his mercy as it is written. This is Psalm 18. Therefore, I will give praise to the, you among the Gentiles, and I will sing to your name. Here's Deuteronomy 32. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Verse, verse 11. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. That's Psalm 117. And then, and then, and then as if to almost like, I just love how Paul was led by the Spirit to do this. It's like he takes a sampling of the whole Old Testament. Right? The law, the prophets, the psalms. It's, and, and he says, because in verse 12, he says, and then even Isaiah. As, as if Deuteronomy, which is the law, which was written by Moses in like around 1400 B.C., or the psalms, which were mostly written by David and Asaph and some others, around 1000 B.C., 400 years after Moses wrote his, the De Deuteronomy. He's saying, oh, and by the way, even Isaiah, who wrote another... 200 years after that, in around 700 B.C., even Isaiah says, there shall come the root of Jesse, and he has, and he, and he, there shall come the root of Jesse, and he who is, arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles hope. Guys, get, like, you, you read that, and you're kind of like, I don't get what all these thoughts are. As, as, as you pull them together, all Paul is doing in this section is he's saying, guys, the promises of God from beginning to end are all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Right? And he's, and he's, and he's just picking a sampling of them as if to prove his point. Because in 
2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says this, as many as are the promises of God, they all find their yes in Jesus Christ. Paul's just proving the point. He's just saying, guys, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. And because a God who can call his shot 1,500 years before, like in writing. I mean, he, he made the promise way back in the garden, but he writes it 1,500 years before Christ comes, and then 900 years before Christ comes, and then 700 years before Christ comes, and then goes, now watch me prove it to you. Can, can that God deal with whatever your struggle is today? That's, the answer to that is yes. I should have gotten some yeses there. That's where our hope is found. Our hope is not found in our circumstance. Our hope is found in the truth that God's promises, which are eternal, will be fulfilled. In your, in your bulletin, among many other things, there was a little this week's hope handout. And what we put on here are just a bunch of promises of God that are fulfilled. Why? Just so that we can say, hey, look how much Bible we know? No. Because as you go through these and you rehearse these with you, by yourself as a couple with a family, it will it'll remind you, man, the God who can pull this off can deal with my problem. Right? He has got, he, this God, has got my eternity in hand. I don't need to worry. But what we have to do, guys, is we have to remember that his promises are eternal. Guys, it's why as Christians we should be, or we can be, the most positive people on the planet. Because we get it. God wins. It's why we don't wring our hands when we turn on Fox News. We get it. God wins. But his promises aren't necessarily for today. Because Josh Vincent who is grieving over his wife, who they pray, who had cancer for years, and who they prayed for healing for, I, I know he knows this truth, because he and I have talked. I know he's still clinging to this truth this morning, because he and I have talked. But guys, we have to get, the, but the, there are people out there that are going to go, well, wait a minute, how did God fulfill his promise to Josh? Because Josh's wife's name is Carrie, because God's promise to Carrie wasn't for a best life now. God's promise to carry was for eternal life with him in glory. And that's her reality now. That's the difference. And we need to keep lifting up Josh and those three sweet boys because their reality is they're still stuck here in this world. So today's question, how do we keep hope? How do we keep hope in a world where Satan and our flesh and the world itself wants to deceive us into putting hope into everything we, anything other than Christ. How about things like our intelligence or our education? That's where my hope is. So when that starts to get rattled, all of a sudden I start to lose hope. How about my job, career, bank account? So when that starts to go south, I start to lose hope. How about my health? So when my health starts to fail, I start to lose hope because I put my hope in my, health, in my health. How about my marriage, my family? Guys, Satan wants me to worship them. He does. 
He has no problem with that. He has no problem with me being the best husband and the best father in the world. As long as I don't believe in Jesus and I keep them from doing it. That's all he cares about. That's it. That's his end game. Is my eternal destruction. And yours. So how? How do we keep hope in a world that wants to tell us all these other things are just as hopeful Well, we need to change our focus. We need to surround ourselves with believers that are going to remind us of where our hope is found. We need to keep rehearsing the promises of God and keep looking up. And we need to be full of the fruit of the Spirit. We need to fill up, people. We just do. Look at, look at how Paul ends the, the part of the passage we're going to look at. Verse 13, our last verse for today. Paul says this, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. There's two of our words for this Advent season. Fill us with joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you get that last part? Like, we can get caught up in that, that first part. So the, I, I like that joy and peace, and, 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 I, and I want to abound in hope. That sounds really good. But guys, it's only by the power of the Spirit that any of that's possible. It is supernatural. Paul tells us in Galatians 5, and I'm not going to read it. Paul tells us in Galatians 5, he gives us this picture of the deeds of the flesh are evident. And they are, and I, and I was going to read it out of the message paraphrase because he does a really good job of slapping you in the face with what, how ugly the deeds of the flesh are. Eugene Peterson does in his commentary on it. But I'm just going to sum it up in a word. The deeds of the flesh are ugly. But, Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Because that is what should describe my life. That is what I want to do, but only by the power of the Spirit. Christmas is a great time, guys. This season, the Advent season, is a great time to evaluate who, where, and in what you have placed your hope. How do I do that, Doug? How do, how do I know who, what, and where? Here's, the, here's, here's one way to figure it out. What are the things that are making you the most angry? What are the things that are making you the most discouraged? Because chances are, if you go back to the root of that thing, it's because you put your hope in it, and it's not fulfilling your expectation, so you're angry, discouraged, and you've lost hope. So go all the way back to that thing and kill it as an idol and hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. Guys, maybe the reason we can't keep hope and have peace and be loving and, and be full of the Spirit and all those things and joyful and everything else is because the kind of hope we're trying to keep is perishable. Right? Maybe it's because we're, 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 the things that we're putting our hope in simply don't last very long, so we keep looking for the new best thing to hope in. It's like, it's like the kid at Christmas that all I wanted for Christmas was this thing. If I could just get this thing, my whole life would be happy. Six days later, that thing is either broken or unplayed with. Why? 
Because that's who we are. We put our hope in something, and when it, doesn't, when it no longer meets our expectation, we move on to mom and dad, but here's the thing now. Right? It's, it's who we are. Guys, I, 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 I said it as children, but we, none of us have graduated from that. Right? New car, new watch, younger wife, whatever it is, fill in the blank. That's what we do. My wife's perfect, by the way. <laughs> Just to clarify. We're always looking for something new to put our, like, to fill up our hope cup. Because we all have that, and we're leaky. Guys, we are leaky beings. Our hope leaks. Our love leaks. Our peace leaks. We've got to keep filling it up. But we can only fill it up by the power of His Spirit in Him and that's what Advent reminds us of. That this Christmas, this Advent season, find your hope the only place it lasts. Jesus Christ. Let's pray. So Father, I thank you for that truth. God, I thank you for the truth that you are a God of all hope. And that we can abound in hope by the power of your Spirit. Because you died on a cross for us. Because as, as a great exclamation point on the creation that rebelled against you, you said, I love you. And planted a cross on a hill called Golgotha. That's where our hope is found. And there alone, Everything else flows from there to the other gifts that you have given us. But may we begin and end with the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who was and is and is to come, the Almighty. And we know his name is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.